Welcome back to Cause Talk Radio by Rashpixel.fm, the podcast that shows do-gooders, nonprofits, and businesses how to build win-win partnerships that do well by doing good. This podcast is brought to you by Engage for Good, Selfish Giving, and Unfiltered, the new podcast of Phil and Company. That's Phil as in philanthropies. Now on to our show. Hey everyone, it's Joe Waters, and I want to welcome you to another exciting episode of Cause Talk Radio. On the line with me, of course, is Megan Strand. Hey, Megan. Hey, hey. Megan, do you know anything about GPDR? <laughs> if I say GPDR to you, what do you think? You mean GDPR? No, I don't. It's great people drive, <laughs> what, Rolls Royce or something like that? You know, I mean, it's something that I'm seeing in all the media right now. And we are going to have a whole show today on uh, nonprofit data protection and security talking about this. And on the line, we have the world's leading expert on this issue, <laughs> the leading expert, Ryan Balajon, and he is the CEO and founder of Grass Riots. Am I correct on that, Ryan? Well, I wouldn't say the leading expert. You were correct about the CEO and founder of Grass Riots, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really nice to have you here. We appreciate your time to talk about this interesting issue. And I was hoping the first thing that you could tell us about, Ryan, is tell us a little bit about Grass Riots. What are you folks all about? Sure thing. So Grass Riots is a full-service digital agency based in Toronto, Canada, supporting the uh, nonprofit and uh, social sector in everything from advocacy to fundraising, digital marketing, and strategy. Um, we work with clients from around the world, many national and international campaigns like UNICEF, Doctors Without Borders, and Amnesty International. Um, and my background is as a technologist and technical director for many online campaigns and movements. Very cool. So we had you on the show to talk a little bit about data protection uh, as it relates to nonprofits and, and your online data protection all, and all of that good stuff. So can you just give us the basics? I know there's things happening in Europe that are apparently way more progressive than what we're doing. So can you just kind of set the stage for us, talk a little bit about what they're doing in Europe, what we're not doing? Um, just give us, well, let's just start there and then we'll go from there. Yeah, it, I think it's interesting times. Honestly, um, uh, in my work in the past uh, 15 years, we've worked with many international organizations, some of those based in Europe. And to see the difference in terms of how data is treated and the rights of individuals to protect their data versus the market here in North America has been really eye-opening for us. And from a practical perspective, we see very different um, directions that both technologies and the practices of nonprofits have taken in the past decade um, from between North America and Europe. And we're at a point now where I think we're starting to see the effects of that, those difference, uh, that difference, um, essentially um, because of incidents like what happened with the Cambridge Analytica data breach, we're becoming more aware in North America on how our data is being held, protected, and treated by organizations. And, you know, over in Europe, there's something called GDPR. Can you talk a little bit about that, Ryan, and what it's all about? 
Sure thing. So uh, I, this is, uh, you know, interesting, not just to, I think, um, international organizations or European based organizations, but everybody, but these new laws, which come into effect on May 25th of this month, um, are, uh, the general data protection regulations. And essentially it's new prescriptions for how, um, every enterprise commercial or nonprofit, um, and government as well must treat individuals data. Um, these laws, um, that are coming into effect are, um, really, um, well positioned to change the way that we treat or understand the data that we collect on individuals and the penalties that come along with violating these laws are pretty severe and so mm. these penalties uh have really shaken up the industry because they're looking at um, the cost of not following these regulations and and also the changes and practices that organizations have to make to follow them as being a, a massive investment. And so it's a real race right now uh, between now and May 25th for major organizations and international platforms, um, campaigns and uh, commercial enterprises to, to come into compliance with GDPR. What does all of this have to do with nonprofit marketing? Like why should nonprofits care about this? You know, from our perspective as digital marketers who have worked in the nonprofit space uh, for a, a long time is is we've seen the line between what commercial marketing and nonprofit marketing looks like essentially disappear. Um, there really isn't that much of a difference in practice in terms of where um, we operate, how we operate, and the systems and tools that we use to conduct our, our, our marketing efforts. And so um, what we need to understand is, is that with GDPR, there is no exception for nonprofits. There is no, um, uh, we, we have to follow the same regulations that are being put into place. Um, even though the cost structures for us to be compliant and the structures of our businesses are, are very different, the penalties remain the same. And that is something that I think has taken a little bit of a, um, a shock in the European market in terms of being ready and being prepared for these to come into effect. Hey, so Ryan, it, how is it that if if a nonprofit has any email subscribers from the European community, is that how you know what I mean? Is that what we're looking for? Yeah, essentially that's 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 the case. Um, um, <laughs> the internet has no borders, um, but yeah. laws and regulations do. And so um, you may be a U.S.-based organization that's um, you know collecting data online through uh, lead generation forms, through your fundraising mm -hmm. efforts, through your social platforms, and that data can be um, you know from a European citizen as easily as it could be from a U.S. citizen, and. Right. Unfortunately, um, organizations are going to learn that um, the rights of a European citizen are going to be uh, essentially um, upheld um, for US-based organizations that do any work online internationally. So um, there is a risk there for organizations who um, collect this data um, without any kind of um, uh, regulation or, or protection um, themselves. But isn't, I mean, isn't the bigger issue that this is kind of where things are heading, right? Like even if right now it's European, 
Exactly. That's what I was wondering. If it's, is it something that's going to become a best practice here in the States, Ryan? That, that's kind of what I um, uh, am trying to say right now is that we're at a point where um, we finally have a model, a framework, um, some regulation that we can look at and say, here is something that we can um, adapt our policies towards um, that we can look at as a best uh, case scenario for how we protect the data and the privacy of the supporters and the individuals that um, we work with in, in our organizations um, and use it as a framework to improve our systems and our approaches. Um, in Canada, in the last you know three years, we went through a very similar um, transition when uh, legislations were introduced, which were called CASTLE. Um, and these were anti-spam legislations that had a very specific um, uh, or laid out a very specific practice in terms of getting consent to market to an individual. Um, we had about a year as organizations to come into compliance with these new active consent mechanisms, which affected the, uh, you know, our web presence and our marketing practices. Um, but as well with GDPR, a lot of the elements of those prescribed um, regulations weren't very clear. And so that lack of clarity led to confusion in the marketplace. It led to organizations investing a tremendous amount of money, time and effort into um, processes that didn't yield the results that um, they were looking for. Um, and then once enacted, these laws um, uh, were scaled back or became more clear to organizations uh, in terms of how they should treat that data. And so I think we're at a time now in looking at the marketplace with GDPR where the same type of confusion is happening in the marketplace. Um, there's mm -hmm. every sort of um, uh, policy or regulation being uh, pumped out by platforms like Facebook, MailChimp, Google, um, LinkedIn on how data will be compliant with GDPR, but there isn't also a lot of consistency in terms of, of how those uh, laws are being interpreted. Um, and many organizations are taking this time to take a step back and say, well, we're not quite sure what to do. We're going to wait for the marketplace to uh, determine that for us. But um, the hopes are is that when that does happen, that there will be some good models and practices in place for the nonprofit sector to follow um, uh, to bring a little bit more rigor and a little bit more practice to how we protect the privacy and data of our supporters. Unfiltered, the podcast of Phil and Company, delivers an insider's look at the people, issues, and influences that shape the multi-billion dollar charitable giving industry. In this week's episode, they talk to Halo Award winner OkCupid about why users who support Planned Parenthood make four times as many love connections. Subscribe to Unfiltered, that's Phil is in Philanthropies, on Apple Podcasts and learn more at philandcompany.com. Well, let's talk a, bit, a little bit about social media just in general. So, all, you know, all of this kind of blew up recently with Facebook and Cambridge Analytica um, in terms of privacy and, and breaches. So should nonprofits even still be using social media? I think we know the answer to that is probably yes. But <laughs> if they are, how can they do that securely just knowing what the environment is and knowing how people are feeling about social media right now? 
That's a, it's a really good question. And, um, you know, something that I, you know, I have to go back to when the Cambridge Analytica scandal um, first hit. You know, um, my colleagues and I, uh, and, and a lot of people in the industry, like, took that as a real kind of like moment, a real chill um, to take a, a, a look back and, and really be introspective in terms of what, what was the difference between what Cambridge Analytica was doing and what, and what we were doing as digital marketers. Um, you know, over the last three years, we've seen a dramatic increase in the amount of investment the nonprofit sector is making in social platforms. Um, you know, Facebook is now a place where we don't just um, build communities, um, but it's a place where we fulfill our missions. It's a place where we fundraise, we conduct activism. Um, and um, we've seen that as uh, social media has grown in civil society, it has grown as a channel for the nonprofit sector. Um, and um, when, after Cambridge Analytica, we had some of our biggest clients coming to us and, and asking us whether they should even maintain their Facebook communities, um, I think that was uh, a point where we had to start to dispel some of the um, uh, you know, myths around what, what was actually happening with, with, with Cambridge Analytica. Um, you know, at a practical level, much of what Cambridge Analytica was doing is what any digital marketer would do, you know, mm -hmm. um, from the micro-targeting, geo-targeting, behaviorally targeting, building psychographic profiles of customers. Like this is, this is kind of the sophisticated practice that many, um, you know, many organizations now undertake to, um, to uh, build uh, better programs. Um, but the, the one difference, and I think this is, uh, you know, something that we have to uh, reflect on is um, essentially they had no respect for personal data or, or people's personal privacy. They collected as much data as they could. They uh, took it without consent. They built massive databases of this data. Um, but then also use that data to broadcast misleading and manipulative messages. And um, so <laughs> there's nothing illegal about those things. They had the technical capability to do so, and the platforms themselves weren't regulated to prevent them. There was no Facebook policy that said, don't do this at the time. Um, and, and so that's where there is a challenge and a bit of a challenge for us as um, practicing digital marketers to, to really build our own code of ethics and to really reflect upon um, where those lines are because those lines are becoming more and more blurry as these platforms become more and more capable. And how do nonprofits right now, how can they evaluate the d data security and, and think more about privacy, even if they only think of it themselves and, you know, maybe not influenced by regulation right now? Yeah, and, and I think this is one of the areas where GDPR has become a really useful tool because um, they have prescribed um, uh, at least a number of recommendations in terms of how organizations can evaluate their programs from a data protection mechanism. So, I mean, the key thing to think about here is that we're going from, uh, um, you know, feeling like we own everyone's data to empowering people to take control of data themselves. And so, so me as an individual, I want to maintain um, uh, consent when I give my data to uh, a nonprofit, a charity, an organization. I want to make sure that I'm understanding 
what data is being collected about me, why that data is being collected. I want to have the ability to have that data deleted or removed when I no longer want you to have that data. I want to understand how you're processing that data and even refuse your right to process that data if I don't agree with how it's being used. And all of these um, rights are, are rights that are being prescribed by GDPR. And um, organizations um, in Europe are having to accommodate through their technical systems and through the practice of their organizations to ensure that they are upholding these individuals' rights. And, and, um, and so as digital marketers, as organizations, as international campaigns, um, we have to make sure that we are auditing our practices um, to understand how we are treating data. Um, and um, audits can take a number of forms. They can um, uh, look like you know, having your IT department assist in understanding what data you're collecting and which systems. But really, I think from a practical standpoint, it's asking ourselves questions about what data do we really need to collect? Where is that data going? Why are we collecting this data in the first place? Where are we storing it? Who has access to it? Um, what servers are, are, is it on? And what third-party tools are we using? What third-party platforms are we using where we might be sending this data? And do those third-party platforms, whether they're Google Analytics, Google Optimize, Optimizely, Attentively, social analytics platforms or CRMs that we understand that we are transferring someone's consent to a third party and that we make sure we need to make sure that we have a trusted relationship with that third party as well. Who, who has to care about all of this stuff um, from the nonprofit's perspective? I mean, who sits in the nonprofit organization thinking about this stuff? Legal? <laughs> Definitely in my experience with GDPR, it is legal right now. Um, uh, the legal departments of many European organizations are uh, taking the lead in terms of compliance, and, and that is because these are legal rec regulations. Um, but there is a prescription within GDPR to assign what is known as a, a data protection officer. And this is a very interesting model because this is not a, um, a role that has to be um, specifically trained or a applied to an organization, but it is a compliance role. It is somebody in your organization who is going to take on the responsibility to ask these questions that I just went through, um, to understand um, the role of the organization in being a steward of this data. Um, and, um, and that's something that I think the data protection officer is one of those very ill-defined components of GDPR right now, but that is going to evolve over mm -hmm. time, where there is going to be a practice that is going to mature over the coming years of what a data protection officer is. And so I think that's one area that it's really interesting to pay attention to. You know, one of the things I was thinking about, Ryan, when it comes to GDPR is how do we define European here? Because when we talk about the European community, are we talking about people in the European Union? And if so, does that still include England, which I guess, or the UK? I guess it still would include the UK. Yeah, well, right now it does. Um, and the UK yep. has uh, committed um, to um, following GDPR through its own oh. data protection legislation. Mm -hmm. um, 
Um, they also have um, enacted their own uh, plans once they are out of the EU to carry that forward. So um, right now, GDPR affects uh, EU countries and the UK. So if you're a nonprofit out there and you're saying to yourself, gee, I wonder whether you know I'm impacted by this. I mean, despite the best practices we talked about in terms of like, you know, this is probably something good to do anyways. But as it specifically rates to the European community, I guess what we could advise nonprofits to do is I know with most email systems, you can do a search geographically of people that are on your list. I've actually done it with my own email list. And I came up with I have a pretty concentrated list here in the United States, Ryan, but I did have 65 (laughs) people that are located in Europe. Do I need to worry about 65 people? Uh, That's a very interesting question and one I cannot find a great answer to right now. And one that I think we're going to have to uh, do a little bit of wait and see in terms of when GDPR um, is uh, enacted this month to see what that looks like. Um, We've heard from um, organizations that are taking extreme measures and they're going to IP block any traffic coming from Europe going forward and and not communicate with any European addresses that are in their file. You know, there was just... And Ryan, there was just a big, which big firm was it? There was a big firm that just actually came out and said that, that they were not, you know, they were not going to be GDPR compliant and that they were just going to block. And I've actually seen some recommendations, Ryan, where people have said, look, if you don't have a lot of people, if you look through your email list and you don't have a lot of people in Europe or you only have, like I do, like a few dozen or something like that, delete them. Yeah. And, you know what and, I mean? Like, I, you know, just get rid of them. And I think that's ridiculous, um, <laughs> honestly, because, yeah. because this is this is the internet we're talking about and um there is a real pushback and i think in 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 north america against these laws that are with gdpr and they're seen as draconian they're seen as insurmountable um they're seen as 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 kind of uh pushing us back to the dark ages where we don't have all of these fun marketing tools anymore and we can't do um the type of targeting that um we've we've grown to rely on for the effectiveness in our campaign. Um, but I, I feel like there's another way, and that is to understand that we're uh, at a point where um, things are happening like Cambridge Analytica, uh, like Cambridge Analytica being the thing that we know about because it was exposed by a whistleblower and because it had to do with the election of Donald Trump. We don't know about the other 300 to 1,000 incidences where data is being collected in very similar ways used by corporations and commercial enterprises, Um, but we will learn about them (laughs) over the coming years. And mechanisms like GDPR are coming. Um, They will will, uh, eventually make their way to North America. And I think this is the time for us to be reflective and to be prepared and to to look and see what happens in Europe as a way forward for for our organizations. Well, we are sure glad you are here thinking about all this so Joe and I don't have to. Thank you, Ryan, so, so much for joining us and telling us a little bit more about what we need to be thinking about in terms of data privacy for nonprofits. If people want to learn more about you and Grass Riots, how might they do that online? Well, we are online at grassriots.com, and you can follow us on Twitter at Grass Riots. We also have a pretty fun Instagram feed if you're into that. Oh, there you go. Amazing. And same thing, uh, same thing, Ryan, at Grass Riots on Instagram? At Grass Riots, correct. Great, and we'll put that in the show notes. Joe, where can people find you online? 
people can find me on Minute to Minute on Twitter at Joe Waters. Definitely go by SelfishGiving.com. Sign up for my email newsletter, especially if you live here in North America. And uh, and I have a great newsletter that goes out every Wednesday. And don't forget to check out all those cause marketing campaigns that I have on Pinterest at Pinterest.com front slash Joe Waters. What about you, Megan? Where can people find you? I'm also on Twitter at Megan Strand. And I tweet for Engage for Good at Engage for Good, which is also where you can find show notes for today's episode, engageforgood.com, as well as selfishgiving.com. And don't forget to subscribe to Cause Talk Radio on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts online while you are there. And again, on behalf of Ryan and Joe and myself, I want to thank you so, so much for joining us for this episode of Cause Talk Radio, and we will talk to you next time.